Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Forum, the latest podcast bringing you all the news headlines and analysis from around the world of sports. Today is Thursday, January 30th, 2020. My name is Michael Murray, and this is episode number seven, as we just continue to fly through with the episodes here early on, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Ethan Looper. Ethan, how are we on this Thursday night? Excited for the Super Bowl. You know, every year it kind of sneaks up on us, especially when my Giants aren't in the playoffs. Absolutely, and uh, you know, same for me. Um, it's it's nice to be able to watch a big game like this and not have to worry about uh, my team playing in it. And you know, probably never going to have to worry about my team playing in it the way they've been going. But that's another conversation for another time. So we, of course, will have a full Super Bowl preview coming a little later on in today's episode, but we want to start with a couple of minor headlines, and we're going to start in the world of basketball with the infamous New York Knicks. And, you know, usually, and Ethan, I'm sure you can agree with this, you know, when, when, when a rival of your team is, is struggling... You, you, you rarely have sympathy. And, you know, I'll uh, use me as an example. You know, as a Red Sox fan, if the Yankees are struggling, I really don't care. In fact, I almost get a little bit of pleasure in seeing them struggle. And, Ethan, I'm sure it's the same for you, just in reverse. So as a Celtics fan, you would think that I wouldn't really mind seeing the Knicks struggle the way that they have in recent years. But it is to the point now where, and after last night, it is to the point where I actually feel bad for this organization. Here is what I'm talking about. So for anyone that doesn't know, last night the Knicks played the Grizzlies in Madison Square Garden. Now the Grizzlies have absolutely nothing going for them either besides John Morant. They have, you know, obviously no shot to compete this year. They are in deep rebuild mode. Well, the Grizzlies blew out the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. I believe the final score was 126 or 124 to 104. So it was, it was, it was a blowout. So late in the fourth quarter, with I think under a minute left, uh, Jay Crowder steals the ball. And like I said, the Grizzlies are up by 20 points, so you know, really no need to shoot it or anything. Well, he decides to, to chuck up a three. Alfred Payton, player for the Knicks, did not uh, did excuse me, did not enjoy this 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 act by Jay Crowder, so he proceeded to shove him blatantly after he shot it. Uh, some some hands were thrown, some guys left the bench, and there was a little skirmish. So, you know, already a bad look for the Knicks in general. In addition, the, of course, the Garden fans were, of course, chanting at James Dolan to sell the team, as they usually do nowadays. But the funny part of it came post-game. And, Ethan, I'm not sure if you saw this on Twitter, but apparently in the visitors' locker room, the showers weren't working. In fact, not only did they not have hot water... But there was barely any water pressure to the point that John Moran actually told reporters, I'm going back to the hotel to take a shower. Ethan, it has gotten so bad in New York that they can't even get their showers to work right. What I, – I, and honestly, I don't even know what – I don't even know what the question is. Just Ethan, just what is going on with the Knicks? Because it's to the point now where I'm getting upset with them. Because it is just that bad. It's just reached that low of a point. What do we do with the Knicks? <laughs> I 
that's that's a question that uh, some some guys who make a lot more money than me or you have been really unable to answer for a while now, and it's getting sad for such a storied franchise for the biggest market in basketball, arguably the the Garden. It, it you have the fans in there, and I feel bad for them. Because they go about these games, the Knicks are 13-36 and 36 right now. They're getting blown out by the Grizzlies, but when the Knicks are making shots, it's playoff atmosphere in that building. The fans stay so invested in that team, it, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaker that they're so bad. Even, even as a Nets fan, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have a have a disdain for the Knicks, but I'm certainly not a fan. Right. But it's, it's like, it's, it's disheartening. It, it really is. And, uh, I, I thought the, the stuff last night with Jay Crowder and Alfred Payton was pretty funny. Uh, did you, well, you know. did, did, um, sorry, did you see the thing about the showers? Because I did, I did see the thing okay. about the shower. Yeah. Uh, Barry McCockiner on Twitter yep. was jumping all over the Knicks, of course, and <laughs> deservedly so if they can't no, I mean, get water right. pressure. I mean, yeah, <laughs> water, yeah, it's gotten that bad. We can't even supply water pressure for the opposing yeah. team. It's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I really don't know. But I but I had to just vent about this because it, it just it's getting me frustrated, and I'm not even a Knicks fan. But it, the reason it gets me frustrated is because of the, one of the first things you said was that they're a storied franchise. And I think that in any sport, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, whatever, when you have your flagship storied franchises playing well and kind of at the top of their game, it makes it, 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 it makes it more enjoyable for the casual fan. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, if you think about the cat, you know, the casual basketball fan doesn't necessarily have a team, but just watches. The first teams they think of are the Celtics, the Lakers, the Knicks, the 76ers, the, the, those those big teams. You know, you know they're 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 not like us that you know they're, they're excuse me they're not going to sit down and and watch in in a Wednesday eight o'clock game against the Grizzlies and you know versus with with the uh, with the Grizzlies and the Kings. You know, so when when. When you have a team like the Knicks that these you know casual fans know so much about struggling this badly, I think it hurts the NBA as a whole because now these sort of you know laid back non just just kind of casual basketball fans and I keep using that word because I can't think of a better one, but these casual fans don't you know they you know they they um. What am I saying? They have no interest anymore because it's just gotten so bad. They, they they have absolutely no interest in watching a team like that, a team that has been for su- had been for such a long time a storied franchise that plays in one of the most famous arenas in the world. So it, it, it's it's it, it's sad, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I, there's so much wrong there, and and you know. And, and honestly, right now, if you put me in that general manager's office, I don't know what my first move would be. Me either. It's part of the Knicks' kind of misfortunes 
have been some bad luck in the lottery. Of course. And there's there's not anything you can do about that. Uh, in 2015 and this past draft, they had top five picks. But those were years that people expected them to come away with the with the number one pick. Right. I and, mean, yeah. I mean, Knicks, Knicks fans were basing this entire summer on the number one pick in Zion Williamson. Right. And, I mean, R.J. Barrett is a fine player. He's really raw, but he's going to be... He's, no, he's going to develop into something. But you miss out on those top two guys in Zion and, you know, another guy who is an absolute stud they played last night, John Morant. You miss out on those guys and it's deflating for the franchise. It's deflating for the fans. And, you know, I, I know people were saying the lottery was rigged when they got Ewing and stuff, but I, I think it... I think it might be time for the NBA to, to rig the lottery for the Knicks again. I, and it's funny you say that because I said the same thing. La- I, I was reading articles about that last year. How the, the you know I mean how there were reporters literally saying that the NBA should rig this lottery to get the Knicks back on the map. And when you think about it now, I mean obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. But when you look at what Zion has been in his you know in in obviously his limited playing time, and then you look at what John Morant's done. For the Grizzlies, I mean, I mean, the Grizzlies weren't in any good shape either before they got him. But he obviously hasn't turned them into a title contender. But he's kind of, he 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 he's kind of accelerated the rebuild a little bit. So it, the, it honestly, and this is no dig on R.J. Barrett. He's a very talented player. But the drop off from John Morant and Zion Williamson to him, it's becoming more and more significant as these as as those two guys continue to play. Yeah, I'm, John Morant has the Grizzlies at an even record, eighth seed in the West. When last year they were the team selling Marcus All, who was a key piece in the Raptors title. So his impact has been huge, and obviously, again, in limited, very limited playing time, Zion's been great for the Pels, despite the the slight inexperience and and. Some holes, some holes he needs to patch up. We discussed last last episode, like yep. free throw yep. shooting, free throw shooting exactly, and turnovers. But you know, so it's stuff you'd expect a young big man. But John Morant, that that dude has has no holes in his game. He is polished. Yep. But so if you look, I, I was just pulling this up at the at the at those two drafts we were looking at earlier this year and 2015, the two times the Knicks thought they kind of had the first pick in the bag. They got R.J. Barrett and Kristaps Porzingis. Now, now yeah, that's... Ahead. Yeah, I mean, Porzingis obviously was a hit more than people expected him to be. Uh, Knicks fans are super mad. If you uh, remember in 2015 when... That was one of the funniest things ever. Oh, yeah. and he turns out... Was done. Yeah, but no, no longevity with the Knicks. But if they if they got one of the top like the top pick that year, it was it was down to Pat or D'Angelo Russell, and those are guys that now are are like franchise players. 
the, those are those are guys you kind of base your franchise around and and want to want to build around. And Porzingis is he's a great player, but he's second fiddle to Luka Doncic right now. And RJ Barrett is as raw as they come. So not not contributing to a lot of immediate winning. Barrett this year is shooting not quite 40% from the field, 33 from three. It's only 60% from the line. And then if you look at like his advanced stats, his all his win share, mm-hmm. win share for 48 minutes, the, the, the plus minus, the VORP, which you know, guys love to use, especially near the trade deadline. They're all bad. R.J. Barrett hasn't been an asset on the floor for the Knicks, which, you know, the, he has a ton of potential as a player down the road, but the Knicks are a franchise that, if I'm the NBA, I want them competing at least for a playoff spot at all times. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, it, it, and, and, you know, being, you know, realistic now, you know, if you're the Knicks, Okay, you have Barrett, and you're obviously going to be working a ton with him to develop his game and make him a better player. And you have a ton of time to do it. And, you know, and and and, and the Knicks in no way are, are, you know, the Knicks are still not dead because they're still going to get a chance to get a top pick this year. If they hit on that, they got another piece. They still, you know, they're, you know if, if you look at their payroll, there's some guys that come off the books after this year. They're going to have some space. Maybe... You know, maybe they just take a chance and throw a super max deal at someone and see what happens. So, you know, the road ahead is still somewhat bright, but just seeing the decisions they've made and the decision when I was looking at their payroll, what stuck out to me was the decision to give Joakim Noah four years and $72 million. I don't know what they saw in that, but continue, you know, like I said, the road ahead is still somewhat bright. There's still some sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. But just basing off of what, uh, off the decisions we've seen them make in recent years, I I, 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 just don't know what to expect. And like you said, I, I like I, I am rooting for them because I want to see the Knicks competing for a playoff spot. I want to see the Garden packed to capacity on its feet. And I, and I, and, and and I don't know. And I, and 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 I also pray for the. Uh, for the uh, showers to start working again, because you know that's obviously an inconvenience. So, the Knicks, who knows? They're the Knicks, and that's just what they've become. Just, just any anytime you just hear the Knicks, you just assume it's bad news. But who knows? So, one of the things that really bothers me about the Knicks, especially over the past couple of years, is they need a rebuild. But they're not really embracing the rebuild. So this offseason, they got guys like Alfred Payton, Reggie Bullock, Marcus Randle, Julius Randle, right? And all of the, you know, all their signings, except for really Julius Randle, who I thought was a great pickup, they were kind of win now guys, veterans who have, you know, have, and maybe a couple of those guys on the roster to kind of show the young guys the ropes are useful. But in my mind, there is no reason. I mean, this could be the start of five for the New York Knicks right now. Dennis Smith Jr. at the one. 
Uh, yeah, excuse me. R.J. Barrett at the two. Uh, Kevin Knox at the three. You could do Julius Randle at the four. And Mitchell Robinson at the five. And Bobby Portis is only 24, and he'd still be coming off the bench. They have some young pieces to just go out there and get some young guys' experience and see what they can do. They just kind of refuse to do it for some reason. There's no reason Kevin Knox is the number nine overall pick last year. And in his second year in the league, after showing some considerable potential. Absolutely. Yep. He's buried as like the ninth guy on the bench. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's, it's like I said, it, it's 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 just what the Knicks have become. They've just become this confusing organization that just doesn't seem to know. It doesn't even seem to know what direction that 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 they're heading in. So I don't, I'm 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 rooting for them, and 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 hopefully they're able to find that light at the end of the tunnel because I still think there is a light there. So moving on from the Knicks. Although we could probably do a whole episode on how bad they are. But anyway, moving on from the Knicks, let's go to baseball. Um, the Houston Astros have finally started to move on from the whole sign-stealing scandal. And they have brought in a new manager. And they went old school. And they brought in Dusty Baker, former manager of the Giants way back, the Cubs, and the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Ethan, we'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts on the hire. Well, great job saving face with the Houston Astros. Dusty Baker, for those who don't really know about him a lot, is he has always been a guy who has been considered a very old-school kind of manager, cares about the integrity of the game to the point where when tanking started to become a thing in sports, and he was on some of his his teams that ha- have been in a real long shot for contention or completely out of contention. He continued to put his veteran guys out there as opposed to going to younger guys and giving them a chance and always putting the best lineup out because he didn't want to ruin the, the, the integrity of it. And <laughs> interesting thing I saw on Wikipedia earlier today, Dusty Baker made, made the first high five ever in 1977 with teammate Glenn Burke, which is just weird. <laughs> it's just, it's That's weird to... Out of the day. Brought to you by Dusty the Sports Yeah, for, <laughs> first ever high five. But as far as being an actual good manager, I mean, Dusty Baker, everywhere he's been, he's made the playoffs at least once, including with the Cincinnati Reds in 2010. So, you know, this is a good manager. He has the accolades, and it's a good job with the with the PR kind of, kind of optics on the whole situation with Dusty Baker. Yeah, and to go off of what you said about, uh, you know, basically his success... He's got a career winning percentage of 532. 
Um, he's won one pennant in 2002 with the Cubs, and he's a three-time manager of the year. So obviously the accolades are there. Obviously he doesn't have the World Series title, or I should say a World Series title under his belt, but you know the accolades are still there. Um, I thought it was. I think it's interesting um, in the sense that the Astros have always have been such an analytically driven organization. You know, they were they, they were at the forefront of the analytical revolution in baseball. Um, I thought it was interesting to, for, to, for them to bring in a guy like him, who, like you said, is just very very old school by the book. You know, I, I really don't think he looks into the. Uh, he I really don't think he looks into the numbers very closely. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out because, you know, sign stealing, no sign stealing. The Astros are obviously still very, you know, driven by analytics. So then they're obviously going to continue to use those as they develop guys and, you know, in-game and whatever, whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see how that he kind of works with his coaches and with the front office. And it's actually interesting because we haven't seen a new GM in place yet. So... Obviously, of course, waiting for that news to come down, and we'll see, you know, kind of the mo on whoever they bring in to fill that role. Um, and you know, I mean, look, yes, the Astros did a terrible thing; they stole signs, they cheated, their legacy is tainted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's still inheriting a very talented roster. He's got Altuve, Correa, Bregman. He's got Springer. He's got Josh Reddick. He's got Yulieski uh, Gurriel. He's got a lot of guys under his belt that can. That, that can compete right now. He's got Justin Verlander. He's got Lance McCullers coming back. You know, there's no reason why this Astros team can't compete again, and especially because they play in a division that's not very – not I, I shouldn't say it's it's not very good, but they, they play in a division that's a little – that you know, they play in a division that, that, uh, that that's going to allow them to go to the top because the A's – yeah, the, the A's will, will be tough. I, even though the Angels picked up Rendon, I really don't see them competing because I don't because because there's no pitching there. The Rangers possibly, I mean, Rangers might have a little extra motivation, you know, with the new ballpark and Corey Kluber and and that story. But I'm I'm still not sold on them yet. And then who did I leave out? And then the Mariners, the Mariners, the Mariners really, I I I really don't know what their story is. So the Astros are going to compete. And you know, like we said, uh, you know, when we talked about the sign stealing, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of the the stats on on guys like Bregman and guys like Altuve, you know, now that we know they're not going to be stealing signs. Um, but so these are talented ball players, and he's a very good manager who, like you said, he's by the book. He's going to stick with his veterans. He's going to stick with his go-to guys. So there's no reason why this team can't compete. And I like the hire because. You know, in addition, you know, like we've said, he's old school, but at the, and I think he's just going to kind of come into that clubhouse and say, "All right, you know what? You did it. Everyone knows it. Screw it. Let's move on. You know, the new day starts right now. New season. That's all in the past. We just got to focus on, you know, taking it one day at a time. So, I think it's a good hire in that sense. And like, like I said, it's going to be interesting to just kind of see, just kind of the whole dynamic of this Astros team. Um, as time goes on. And another thing, I just wanted to touch on this because I, I never had really thought about this before. Um, Ethan, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw any of this on Twitter, but one of the aspects of the whole sign-stealing scandal that I never really thought about was, so somebody did a, somebody made a giant bar graph of 
every game during the regular season where the Astros were hitting the trash cans. And they actually did they actually kept track of how many times the trash can was hit in each game. It's it's actually very incredible research done by whoever did this. So the the game that it was hit the most, I think, was a game against Toronto in August. And in that game, there was a pitcher, I can't remember his name, who came in, he pitched a third of an inning, gave up four runs, got taken out, and he hasn't pitched in the big league since. And Freddie Freeman was talking about this whole sign-stealing thing, and he mentioned that. And I never really thought about the fact that this that scandal has ended some careers. You know, there were guys that came in to face the Astros and got absolutely shelled were in the, and were demoted to AAA, and some never pitched in the majors again. And that just adds another layer of just, I, I mean, for most fans, just hatred for the Astros. And just it just adds another, another layer of just, wow, this is not good, and just a, a really bad look. For the Astros, and even if uh, uh, thoughts on that, yeah, you said it pretty well. It's it's a stain on baseball. It, it is. It's disappointing, and uh, I know during the 2017 Major League Baseball postseason, the Astros won the title. Uh, a lot of people were pulling up. Kind of home and away splits because it's it's easy. That's kind of the heart of what the cheating scandal focuses on because they won the World Series. So I'm going to read some home and away splits for five Astros players, and we'll see see what you think about them. And this so is from so before you said this is from 2017, the 2017 postseason. postseason. Okay, so. So all the rounds and including the World Series, yeah. Okay. So, first of all, the Astros in nine home games were eight and one. They batted two seventy three, three forty three on base percentage, five nineteen slugging, and an average of five point seven runs. As a team on the road, they batted 208. Their on base percentage was 284. Their slugging was 347. They scored an average of three runs a game. So before I go into individual players, just, just tell me what you think of, of those splits overall. Well, I mean, obviously, knowing what we know now, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and I obviously understand why I mean why that obviously raises an alarm because that's a extremely drastic difference but I am gonna play devil's advocate here and I am gonna say that I there that there is I don't know there is some aspect of that that can probably be attributed to just home field advantage I'm sure if you went back and looked at some other teams postseason splits at home and away there probably are some glaring differences in some years and believe me, I'm not trying to say that I'm not in any way trying to defend the Astros for what they did or anything of the sort. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, for the sake of argument, just bringing that point up. But, yes, obviously those are extremely glaring numbers. And um, knowing what we know now, obviously it doesn't – really no surprise. So next I'll go into 
five different players, and I will just say difference of their OPS, like roughly, roughly how many points okay. higher OPS was at home than on the road. So Alex Bregman, three hundred fifty points. Carlos Correa, about a thousand points. Or excuse me, he was about five hundred. Altuve was roughly a thousand fifty points. Brian McCann that postseason was roughly, say, six hundred fifty points. And Evan Gaddis was also 500 points higher in OPS at home than on the road. <laughs> I feel bad for Carlos Beltran reading this because he claimed he didn't know anything about the sign stealing. And actually, his batting average and OPS were worse at home than they, than they were on the <laughs> road. And he got fired. He got fired from the Mets. That, that's a very interesting point. But. The, the, obviously, the number that stuck out to me there was um, was Altuve, and I think that just puts him in more of a negative light with the whole you know was he wearing a buzzer thing and you know he didn't and I, and now I'm, I'm actually jumping at the last postseason you know didn't want his jersey torn off and you know running right to the clubhouse I think that just kind of adds even more speculation to his whole oh my wife didn't want to see me without a sh- or, or or I shouldn't say that or the whole my wife. Or uh, yeah, my my wife gets me in trouble. Statement. I, I you know that just obviously not a good look there. Um, so I think honestly those those the the players splits speak more to the whole scandal than the team splits. Because like I said, the team splits can I think be attributed a little bit to just home field advantage, especially in the postseason. But the player splits, I mean. You know, if you're as good of a player as Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa, you shouldn't have a 500-point difference in your OPS at home versus away if you're that talented. So I, I think the player splits speak more to the whole science-stealing scandal. And like you said, it, 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 it it's a stain on baseball, and I really don't think the Astros are ever going to win a game from now on and not be accused of some sort of cheating. Um, which is sad, and you know it. We and we 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 of course went into a little more detail about this uh, on a couple of episodes ago when the news broke about their the punishments. But um, yeah, just not a good look for baseball. And I'm hoping, as a very passionate baseball fan, that we can just kind of move on from from this whole thing and and just kind of start a new new decade and just kind of. Just kind of go with the flow and just get back to baseball. So with that, that'll wrap up our little MLB discussion. And now we will get into the to, to the big one. It's We are three days away from the big game, um, Super Bowl 54. Yeah, 54. Uh, Chiefs and 49ers. And I think, Ethan, this is a game, you know, that's getting a lot of, lot of hype. I think for two reasons. One, because everyone is just trying to move on from the 13-3 to snooze fest that was last year's Super Bowl. B, when you look at the two teams last year, the Patriots were DeFord's right hand away from not going to the Super Bowl, and the Rams were a penalty flag away from not going to the Super Bowl. 
But this year you have two teams, the Chiefs and the Niners, who are absolutely deserving of it and got here on their own merit, on their own, you know, they you know, they, you know, they were clearly the best two teams or the best teams in their respective conferences. So I think in both those aspects this game is getting a lot more a lot more hype and I think people are very very excited for it and you and I are two of them. So let's hear it. Let's hear your thoughts, your input, whatever you got. Here we go. So I've been watching the Super Bowl since I was six years old. My first Super Bowl was the one where the, the Giants beat the Patriots, the helmet catch, all that. I'm, I'm eight and four in my lifetime. I keep track of, of you know, who I pick and, and how accurate. So over, the, over my 12 Super Bowls that I've kind of been even somewhat conscious and knowing about football and sports for, I'm eight and four. And I think that this is for sure the most interesting Super Bowl we've had since Super Bowl 49. So it's been five years, I think, we've had a, a Super Bowl where I was seriously in doubt of who was going to win. That was when the Patriots beat the Seahawks on the Malcolm Butler play. So I'm excited at the very least for for a Super Bowl where I, I'm seriously going back and forth and and just not sure up to probably ten minutes before we started recording. I didn't really have my pick locked in, still hanging and hauling. And we will and we will get to all the picks and 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 we're going to talk prop bets and, and and all that stuff. Of course, later a little bit later on. But, so for the actual matchup of this game, it's it kind of seems like throughout these playoffs, the Chiefs have been, each week, kind of, <laughs> kind of leveling up in difficulty in terms of the opponents they play having a roster to kind of directly combat their style of play. I mean, the Chiefs with... With Mahomes, they like to throw the ball around, get in rhythm on offense, and just kind of cruise through the game. You know, once getting an early lead and having a <laughs> ideally blowing teams out, which they do a lot. But they played in their first playoff game, they played the Texans, who haven't been particularly strong on defense this year. And the running game also hasn't been exceptional this year so that even though they jumped out to an early deficit they kind of just stuck to their game plan and ultimately ended up blowing the texans out which was weird the next week they played the titans for the afc championship now this was a team that could control the clock with derrick henry and they had a better defense than the texans and the titans were kind of close but the Chiefs again pulled away. Now the 49ers, I, this might be where they hit bedrock. Because the 49ers, as they displayed against the Packers, can absolutely control a team, keep a great quarterback out of his rhythm, and, and just lock up and control the clock, 
run the ball down someone's throat and and not let you score really take the rhythm out of your offense. Absolutely. Um, so I think, um, you know, looking at this game, and like you said, it's a very, very interesting matchup because it's two teams that really have, in terms, two teams that really just kind of have a really opposite dynamic. You know, you look at the Chiefs, you know, the air attack is is virtually unstoppable. So many weapons, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Michael Hardman, and a, and, and a, you know, a fairly stable running game. You know, Damian Williams can get the job done. And then a defense that's, you know, the, the way I like to describe them is like, is usually how I describe like Cowboys defense, you know, bend, but don't break, you know, that, you know, they're, 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 they're going to give up some points, but, but when you need a stop or when you maybe just need a field goal instead of a touchdown, you know, they, they find a way to get that done. And then you have the 49ers who old school, you know, ground and pound type style, you know, a three headed monster running back, you know, just run the ball down your throat, control the clock and a defense that can stand up to anybody. But I, I just think in this game, you know, if, 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 if you look at the NFC title last week, you know, you you said it. They were able to keep Rodgers off balance and you know take him out of his rhythm. But one of the things that I said when we were previewing uh, uh, conference championship weekend um, on an earlier pod was when you take you, you know after Devontae Adams, there's not a lot of weapons there for Aaron Rodgers. So I think that also contributed to his struggles against such a tough defense. Well, that's not the case for Patrick Mahomes. Sure, are the are, are the Niners going to you know commit guys to Tyreek Hill and try and shut him down? Yes, and maybe they will. But you still have to deal with Travis Kelsey, and you still have to deal with Michael Hardman, and you still have to deal with Sammy Watkins. Aaron Rodgers didn't have that luxury, and Aaron Rodgers. As good as he is, he's getting up there in age. He's not able to move around as well as he used to be. And that's also not the case for Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is in the prime of his career. He's not afraid to use his legs if he has to. We saw that in uh, in the first half against the Titans. I just think that this Niners, as good as this Niners defense is, this is a whole different animal they're going up against. And are they going to get stops? Sure. They're absolutely going to stop KC's offense once or twice. I mean, obviously. But, and then, you know, when you look on the offensive side of the ball, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, completes six six passes last week. Of course, that, you know, that gets them by because they control the clock with Mostert. He goes off for 200 yards. But Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to complete more than six passes to win this game. Because I I, I just see the the Chiefs offense, it's just too explosive. They're going to put up points. They're going to force him to throw the ball. Excuse me. They're they're going to force him to throw the football, and he's going to have to be able to complete some passes in some tough situations and on some big third downs. And I'm not saying he has to go 35 of 50 for 500 yards and four touchdowns, but he's going to have to be able to convert third downs through the air, and he's not going to be able to sit back on his running backs to just run out of clock for him. Yeah. I disagree. Disagree. Uh, I disagree. I, I think. I think not on the count that 
Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw for 500 yards, but I think their best chance is to lean on the running game. You just ha- you can't let Patrick Holmes be on the field too much. D- to me, if you're the 49ers and you have the football and you are running the clock and you know that Patrick Mahomes has no chance of throwing a 60-yard touchdown bomb on you at that point because he's not in the field, every minute of that is a win for the 49ers. I agree. I do agree. But I counter that, and I say that, the Chiefs defense knows that the Niners are going to rely on that run game. So I would imagine they're going to come out with stacked boxes blitzing a ton, trying to control that run game. And if they're able to get one or two stops early on and the Niners go down and they go up 14, 17 points, you can't then then then, then you can't lean on that run game anymore. You're going to have to throw the football. So that's what I see that's where I see this this coming in. And even, you know, even if the Chiefs defense doesn't even necessarily force a punt, you know, m- maybe maybe they hold them to a field goal. Even still, if you know, it doesn't take Mahomes long, like you said. He has that big threat ability in him. So you you hold him to a field goal, touchdown, three and out, touchdown. It's fourteen to three, and I can't run the ball anymore. So that's my you know that that that's where I'm coming from. But I I agree with you completely in that the Niners are going to try and rely on the running game. But I just think that this Chiefs offense is too explosive for them to be able to do that. For the whole game. And you might be right, but Kyle Shanahan, his entire career, his game has just been kind of throw jabs with the run game, keep pressing with the run game, and then pop of play action, and you're off to the races. Well, with Kittle, especially. But I, I think that if Kyle Shanahan really abandons that game plan and tries to go tit for tat with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and McCall Hardman and Demarcus Robinson, and I could keep going, they just have weapons over there that, as good as the 49ers defense is, I'm not happy necessarily about scoring quickly on offense. Yeah, absolutely. And and you just have to you have to control the clock. And you mentioned that if you go down fourteen to three, kind of running the balls off the menu, but the Patriots in Super Bowl fifty one, where they famously came back on the Atlanta Falcons, the whole twenty eight to three thing. The, the Patriots actually had more rushing attempts than the Falcons. They had actually a lot more rushing attempts than the Falcons. They had they had seven more carries in the game than the Falcons, and three more players who carried the ball, which which is significant. So, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is football games are are long. <laughs> obviously, but just because you fall behind doesn't mean that you can't control the clock. Because, say, the situation 
you just name goes down where you're down 14 to three. And now you come back to the sideline. And if I'm the coach, I'm saying, all right, here's what we got to do. We can't panic. And I'm not getting out of the game plan. I'm not, you know, coming out with three straight passes because that's how you get another three and out. And, and then, you know, the chiefs come back and score again. You're down 21 to three. What you do is you try to have a long sustained drive. You try to score, obviously, but now it's only 14, 10, you're down by a score. And if you're, if your drive is five, six minutes, now Mahomes is kind of, he's been on the bench for a while. He's tight, you know, a little bit out of rhythm. You know, the receivers haven't, haven't been running for a while. So I, I just think that no matter, you know, save for them being down 30 or down by a couple scores in the fourth quarter or, you know, having to run a two-minute drill, I think the 49ers' absolute best chance is to lean on that run game. And if they abandon it, you know, heads up for a blowout. It's what happened against the Titans, and it's what happened to the Ravens against the Titans. There's just been too much evidence, especially in this postseason, that you can't do it. Yeah, and I completely agree with what you said because – you know, if you go back and watch that AFC title, you know, as soon as the Titans got down, they tried to just, you know, go blow for blow with Mahomes, and Ryan Tannehill is not that kind of quarterback. And neither is Jimmy Garoppolo. So I completely agree with you. You know, the X factors for this game are Raheem Mostert, Matt Breda, and Tevin Coleman. Because like you said, you know, the less time Mahomes is on the field, the less points the Chiefs can score. But my, you know, what, what I'm getting at is, the Chiefs' defense is in no way the best defense ever. It, you know, it, it has a lot of flaws. But I see the Chiefs' defense doing enough to keep the 49ers out of the end zone early, allowing Patrick Mahomes to get the ball, go down, and 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 like I said, I, I you know this this Chiefs' offense is just too explosive. So I see him getting the ball. Scoring a couple touchdowns early, and like you said, the Niners—they're probably going to still keep running the football. But I—I I, I just see Steve Spagnola. He's game planning. He knows what they're going to throw at him. So I just see the Chiefs' defense doing enough to give Patrick Mahomes the football enough. It, and I'm, I'm sorry for using the word enough twice, but you get my point. I just see the Chiefs doing do, doing their due diligence on defense, which and giving Patrick Mahomes the ability to do what he does best. And that is run that offense and score points. So I guess in addition to, you know, the running backs, my X factor also could be San Fran's play action game. Because if you know that the Chiefs are going to come out and blitz and stack the box and defend that run, if you get your play action game going early, suddenly everything I just said is wrong and goes out the window. So if you can get that working and get Kittle involved and get Emmanuel Sanders involved early, then... Who knows? Then who knows what's going to happen? Well, that's actually part of quote unquote establishing the run. Is then if you if you stack, stack, make them blitz or stack the box, you can you can bang them with the play action or you know spread out the field, and then they can't really run with their game plan. So <laughs> if the Chiefs come out and are already afraid of the Niners' run game, you kind of skip. 
step one there, and then you're already off to the races. And that's part of why football is such a mental game, because for every punch, there's a counterpunch, and uh, it, it's going to be fun to see. It's going to be fun to see the Kyle Shanahan versus Steve Spagnolo kind of mental sparring match. And it's going to be fun to see Andy Reid against that 49ers defense kind of kind of mentally sparred out. Yep. It, it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's going to be a big chess match. In Miami, and and it, 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 it and I'm very excited, and it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, so let's get into something that's even that's going to make it even more fun to watch, and that is the picks. So start with the basic ones, and then we can kind of talk about some crazy prop bets and and whatnot. So right now, Kansas City is minus one and a half, and that line surprised me, if we're being brutally honest. But Kansas City minus one and a half. Over under is fifty four and a half. Ethan, I'm writing them down. We're gonna keep track. See who gets what right. What do you got? What's the pick? And uh, money line, I think, is KC minus one fifteen. I'm taking the Niners against the spread. He's taking the Niners, getting points. All right. And are we? Are we taking the over or the under, or are we uh, are, are we uh, are we laying off? Um, I'm going to take the over, just because I, I don't think there's any way that Kansas City scores under 20 points in this game, and then between the two teams from there, you need 34. And I think there's a good chance the Niners put up 30 themselves. So I, I'm going to take the over in this one. Okay. So I'm I'm happy you took the Niners because now we disagree because I'm going to take the Chiefs minus the point and a half. Um, I'm also going to take the over. And I'm also going to take... Um, the first half over, which is, I believe it's 26 and a half. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take that as well. Now, let's get in. So actually, just real quick to recap, Ethan's got the Niners plus a point and a half and the over, and I have the over, the Chiefs minus one and a half, and the first half over at 26 and a half. So let's talk some prop bets. Um, there's some, a couple that stood out to me. Uh, for the player props, um, and all these odds that I'm reading um, come from uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook, um, in case anyone might use a different source. Um, so for the first touchdown of the game, um, I'm sorry, wrong one. We'll get there in a second. For a, So these are the, for the odds to score a touchdown at any time during the game, just have to score one touchdown. Patrick Mahomes is plus 400. Ethan, your thoughts on that? I think that's right about where it should be. Would if, you take if, it? Would I take it? I, it's it's such a small return 
that on the off chance that he, God forbid, he gets hurt in the game or if the 49ers see something on film that they can completely exploit, I'm, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking that. Interesting. I um, I, I don't know. This, this kind of stuck out to me. You know, I like those odds. I like the plus four hundred, and I can see him. You know, I can see them being like the you know the nine or the ten. He drops back. He's got nothing, and you know he rolls out and kind of makes some magic and just kind of sneaks one in the end zone. So I mean, I I can see that happening. I, you know, I like that one. Um, another one that stuck out to me. Rushing touchdown for for that stuff, man. Yes, it's a tu- yeah. It, it, a passing touchdown doesn't count. It's it has to be. He'd have to run it in or or catch it. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I like this. We're I I I I I am I. Excuse me. I'm embracing the disagreement. So uh, let's see. Moving on to another one that maybe caught my eye. Uh, so receiving yards, Tyreek Hill, 77 and a half is the over under for him. I think he, he goes over. What do you, what do you got? Uh, I got to agree. Tyreek Hill can make that with one catch uh, or, or, or a rush. Well, it's receiving yards. So no, but uh, he's too explosive. Probably. One probably the fastest player in the league. At least when you watch him on the field and kind of see how he fast he's going relative to to everyone else. Seventy seven and a half is definitely attainable for him. And I know Richard Sherman's a great corner, but Sherman doesn't play in the slot. He only plays on the right side. So yeah, and if we're talking speed, Tyreek Hill can burn him. He can, yeah, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking Sherman, bold prediction, Sherman doesn't get burned in this game, but I'm going to say Sherman doesn't get burned. Okay. I think, I don't think he's going to let it, but doesn't get burned. Okay. Even, even if he doesn't, I'm I'm looking at Andy Reid to put Tyreek Hill somewhere else and find a mismatch. Yeah, so. and honestly, I, I for me, I think six receptions and seventy five yards is like baseline for Tyreek Hill. So I, I, you know, obviously, I can easily see him going over that number because I feel like he just kind of steps on the field and just will automatically catch six passes for at least seventy five yards. Um, the other one that stuck out to me, and this is, I mean, this is more of like a more more of a crapshoot bet. Um, it's for the first touchdown of the game. So right now, the two favorites for it are Damian Williams and Raheem Mostert, both running backs. They're both plus 650. But I don't know. The one that kind of stuck out to me was Emmanuel Sanders. He's plus 1,600, which obviously be a nice return. Um, and like I said, this is obviously a complete crapshoot. But he, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you if you like the Emmanuel Sanders pick. Just throw it out there. Who, who do you like to score the first TD? So some names that I'm going to throw at you are, I mean, obviously Travis Kelsey, you got you to gotta monitor what he's at because he's been the best Chiefs receiver in the postseason. And he's at plus 800. Plus 800, that's, that's pretty good if you're looking at something pretty realistic. And 
you know, with, but not like the absolute shortest odds. Right. Yep. The, other guy I'm, I'm, the other guy I'm definitely looking at is Kendrick Bourne. What's, what's, what's Kendrick the odds? Kendrick Bourne on? is plus 2,200. Oh, I'm loving those odds. It's just <laughs> that it feels like all that dude catches are first downs and touchdowns. You, it's a, it, you make a good point. And to kind of go off that, I always, I feel like, I feel like whenever you deal with when you're dealing with a Super Bowl and the question is like the first this, it's never what you think. Yep. I'm I'm looking at Bourne for sure on that. Okay, Kendrick Bourne. I, I you know, I I'm 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 sticking with my Emmanuel Sanders pick. I, I can see what I what I can see is I can see the Niners getting the ball. Them running it a couple times, maybe picking up a first down, and then they hit a big play action down the field, maybe a fifty-yard score to Sanders on a fly route. I can I can see that happening, and at plus sixteen hundred, I'm I'm really liking those odds. Um, yeah, and the four favorites, like I said, are Damian Williams, Raheem Mostert, Kelsey, and then Tyreek Hill is plus seven fifty. So last thing we're gonna, and I'm not. And these are just kind of funny to look at. I'm not sure if you've ever paid attention to the cross-sport props. But I'm going to put you on the clock here. So you can actually you can actually bet, you know, like, you can bet, you know, Super Bowl picks with NBA picks from the games that night. So the Rockets play on Sunday. So, so a, a bet you can make. James Harden's point total or the Super Bowl's first half total? Was that my? Um, sorry, my computer just crashed. Oh, not a problem. Um, so it, uh, it's a, a, a cross sport. It's a prop bet, so right? James Harden's point total or the Super Bowl's first half total. So first half was you said twenty six. No, it, it, I mean no. The, the, this is just in general. For getting yeah. the over under, so like you know, is is, Har- is basically is Harden going to score more against the Pelicans, or are the or is the combined score of the first half of the Super Bowl going to be higher? I'm going to take Harden against the Pelicans. Uh, I would agree. I, I, yeah, I know 40, 40 in the first half. I mean, if you're just looking at his his averages, um, I got I got to laugh to myself because I, I can only imagine like. We're definitely going to watch that game in, in the dorm, and <laughs> just how much, how much, you know, a lot of basketball people hate James Harden. Yeah, I've had conversations with some of my roommates and floor mates, and a lot of them don't like James Harden. And and if he if he torches the Pels, I, I, I get <laughs> endless comic relief out of that. But uh, I. I I could easily see him going for forty on the. Yep. I, I agree. I, I would definitely yeah. take. I would take Harden's there. Um, another one. Now this gets a little more interesting. So, Russell Westbrook's points, rebounds, and assists, or Patrick Mahomes' pass attempts. I'm gonna go with. I can easily see Mahomes. Throwing the ball fifty times, but a thirty-point triple-double is probably a tall order for Westbrook. If you're just betting on one any given night, 
So I'm going to go with Mahomes' pass attempts. Yeah, that, that was one where I looked at it at first and I was like, oh, that's easily Westbrook. But then when you think about it and you think about the volume that Mahomes throws the ball, you're kind of like, oh, wait a second. You kind of have to think about it. But I think at the end of the day, I would. I think at the end of the day, I'm actually going to go with Westbrook. Okay. And Westbrook is actually the favorite for that. He, he's actually he's minus 160 for that bet. And Mahomes is plus 120. But because um, I feel like I feel like at, if at the end of the game the Chiefs are winning, then Mahomes' pass attempts are going to be less because they're just going to run the ball and try and kill the clock. So I, I think that I think that it, that bet kind of comes down to this sort of ending game situation. If the Chiefs are in need of a comeback, then I think then Mahomes would 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 win it because he'd obviously have to throw the ball more. But I think if they're winning, might be a different story. And then, <laughs> unless unless that comeback came on like three one play drives with which with the Chiefs so, that's never yes that's actually, that's actually a very good point that you yeah because you know it could be yeah three plays three seventy five yard touchdowns in a matter of like six minutes because you know that's the Chiefs so one more um, so I got Zion Williamson's points and rebounds. Or Jimmy Garoppolo's pass completions, not attempts, completions. I think Zion's averaging like, especially when he's gotten into the swing of things, like against the Celtics, he had twenty-one and eleven, I think. So if I'm taking that as a baseline, I'm definitely not taking the the Garoppolo completions. I'm taking Zion. Yeah, absolutely, and Zion is the favorite. Of those two, he's minus 140. So, yeah, just some, I mean, there's a ton of bets, of prop bets, cross sport that you can do. I always like to look at those. I think they're pretty fun. And then, of course, just the regular prop bets as well. So you got our picks. You got our analysis. Um, we, we, we disagree on who's going to win. Um, so it'll be interesting, on, you know, when we come back on Tuesday to, to discuss it. Let's find out who was right. I got everything written down, so if you made a pick and it's wrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna call us out on it. Um, uh, you just stay honest because I I did not write them down. Absolutely no. I, I I got the notes. We are all set. Um, everything is written down and accounted for, including your statement that Richard Sherman is not going to get burned. I am going to pay close attention to that. Yeah, I, I he's he's too smart. Uh, I mean, besides pure speed, which he kind of is—it's illustrated when you know and there's a coverage bust, and you know Tyree kills running on a post, and you know the corner's kind of with him, but then he just breaks on the angle, and the middle of the field's completely open. There's no one there, and you you can just see him running in the open field. But I think Sherman is is too intelligent. To, to let that situation happen. He knows what he's up against. He's going to make sure he has the safety help. If not, he's giving about <laughs> 10 yards of cushion because he'd rather give up the seven yard out than the than the bomb. I, I, I just don't see it happening to Sherm. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. Um, and with that, that will wrap up Episode 7. Uh, hope you enjoyed, as always. Uh, be on the lookout next week for two new episodes on Tuesday and, of course, Thursday. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at the Sports Forum and then the number one, the Sports Forum and the number one. Uh, 
Um, we'll be back on Tuesday at episode eight. We'll be recapping Super Bowl. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Ethan, enjoy it. Um, and enjoy the Pelicans game as well. Um, hopefully Harden doesn't torch the Pels, like you said, and that all your friends are feeling good. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, I'm got <laughs> I kind of want it to happen. I, I want to see. <laughs> I want to see the faces in that room when James Harden travels five steps, dunks on him for his fiftieth oh, point. <laughs> absolutely love it. So, in like I said, enjoy the game. Follow us on Twitter. Be on the lookout for a new episode on Tuesday. And with that, I am Mike Murray. On behalf of my co-host Ethan Looper, this has been the Sports Forum. <laughs>